And we are back with another mini-episode of the Game of Thrones podcast, and this time we will be discussing Fire and Blood, the upcoming book that will detail the life of the Targaryens 300 years before A Game of Thrones. Jorah Martin recently released a small tidbit about it a while back, and that's what we'll be taking a look at today. If you're watching this on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever, don't worry, we'll be sure to leave a link in the description below. As always. However, before we begin, I just want to give a big, a big shout out to another YouTuber, uh, Man of the West. He's a Lord of the Rings channel, and might I say, probably the best Lord of the Rings channel on YouTube. I've been always meaning to like shout him out, but you know, uh, it always escapes us. Um, but yeah, big shout out to Yoiston from Man of the West. Definitely check out his channel if you're a big fan of Lord of the Rings, and if you do check it out, tell him Carmine sends his regards. Also, this uh, Fire and Blood uh, podcast episode was recommended to us by someone on my Patreon, so big shout out to them. I, we actually weren't going to do this, but eh, I decided to do so, uh, just based on the recommendation, because I didn't really know this came out. But uh, now I do, and thank you to that person. Okay, so Preston, welcome back. Thank you, thank you. It's been a while since we've uh, we've we've recorded something. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been you, you're a busy dude, traveling the world, you know, seeing. All it has to offer. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm actually currently in Turkey at the moment. Don't tell people that. What if people come like to fucking find you and have you sign random T-shirts? In Turkey? Okay. You have a lot All of right. Turkish fans. I'm sure you do. I, I, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful country filled with beautiful people. <laughs> Preston's on a secret mission in Turkey. Can't really talk about it. So, fire and blood. <laughs> All right, so really quick, in one sentence, sum up what this book will be about, because I actually didn't read the excerpt, because uh, I wanted you to explain it to me and give me your thoughts, but uh, what is this? Is it like a historical guide, like the Silmarillion with Lord of the Rings? Is it an actual story with characters like the main books, or is it like an encyclopedia of Targaryen history, kind of like the World of Ice and Fire that came out a few years back? Like, what is this book? Um, you know, so some people have been calling it the George R. R. Marillion, George mm. R. R. Marillion, um, in that it's, it's kind of a, a, a boring history, um, rather than being, being a, a story like Ice and Fire or Dunkin' Egg that, you know, flows along with like protagonists and plot and, and, and like things that you can connect to. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, I would say that. Comparing it to the Silmarillion is also kind of wrong in that the Sil- Silmarillion gives like, you know, ancient history and goes through many ages and gives, you know, a long, long, um, it covers a long, long stretch of time while this just covers Targaryen history. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, from the Targaryen point of view. Um, so you're still going to not get what's going on in the rest of the the rest of the seven kingdoms and world and you're not going to get what's going on you know the um for thousands and thousands of years before and that's you know like there's nothing about uh the the andal invasion or or the fir- the first men or the children of the forest or things like that because it it begins with Aegon's conquest um and will bring us up until you know um uh, I imagine uh um uh, Robert's rebellion so it's a detailed account of of the Targaryens in Westeros, because I actually thought, I swear I, I, I heard someone say that it was going to be a detailed account of their journey from Old Valyria all the way to Westeros. Um, I don't know if that's going to be covered. Um, so so the Targaryens, they didn't quite, so the, the, the history of the Targaryens moved to, to Westeros, um, is there was there was one Targaryen 
and she had a vision that Valeria was going to, you know, fall. She tells her dad like to uh, to to move to Dragonstone, and so they move to Dragonstone, <clears throat> and the Targaryens are actually on Dragonstone for about a uh, hundred years before they even think about uh, invading Westeros. Um, I mean, the rest of Westeros, if you consider uh, uh, Dragonstone Westeros or not. But the, uh, they, they move there. Um, and I, I imagine that they also convinced the other Targaryen houses to move there. Or maybe they already had those islands. The, the, I mean, the other Valyrian houses, like the Valarians and the Celtigars. Um, I imagine that they moved it at, at the same time. But it's hard to say. We, we don't really know much about their history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then there's the big mystery of why they chose to invade Westeros when they did. Um, that might be covered, uh, in the book, but I think it's, I think it's going to somewhat begin with Aegon's conquest, but maybe it'll begin with Daenerys the Dreamer's, like, visions. We don't, we don't, we don't quite know. Now, the one thing I'm a little confused about is because, and I swear I heard this from somewhere, that, um, George R. R. Martin will release, was going to release something like this, like a big Bible-like tome of, of a detailed Targaryen history right after he finished the series. This, this is supposed to come after Winds of Winter and of Dream of Spring when that's released in 2044. Um, tell me, what's, uh, why is this being released now? And I actually have a theory as to why I think it is, but go ahead. Uh, I, well... Yeah, he did say uh, at first that he was going to release it after Dream of Spring, which which, and so the fact that he's now releasing half of it now is is a uh, is a new thing, um, and there there's kind of a reason for it, uh, and that is um, obviously he's massively late on on Winds of Winter, and I imagine he wanted to give you know throw people bones to to um, uh, so that you know he doesn't feel as so bad for being late. And so he had already, so the first thing he'd done is he'd, he'd already written kind of a, a, a rough history of everything, or he had it in his head. And then he, he had, um, he decided to like flesh out the first uh, piece, which on the dance of the dragons called the princess and the queen. And that was put, that was uh, released in an anthology um, of stories. And so he had the princess and the queen out there. And then he also had written uh, The Rogue Prince, which was about a time a little, little bit before The Princess and the Queen, um, leading up to The Dance of the Dragons. And so he had those two then. And then the then people came forward and said, hey, how about the, like, you, you have this rough idea of, of Targaryen history. We're going to, you know, we want to do The World of Ice and Fire. Um, what, uh, you know... What can what can we put in that? And so George R. R. Martin kind of like gave a lot of notes to you know Elio and Linda about um, the Targaryen history, and they and a kind of rough like abbreviated draft of Fire and Blood is in um, the World of Ice, of Ice and Fire. Well, let me ask you this: the World of Ice and Fire, like we all bought that. I feel yeah. it was kind of a waste of money because. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does go into a lot of you know detail about certain houses and certain eras and certain characters. But at the same time, a lot of the the history you do want, or at least I wanted, like a detailed history of each, even minor houses. Like you don't even need to give me like full on yeah. houses. Like even minor houses, like the Mormonts or you know the uh, the Tarleys. There isn't a detailed account of those houses, which is something I was looking forward to. They just have stories about stuff that happened in history that doesn't really matter to the overall story. Um, 
Do you think the world yeah. of ice and fire is kind of kind of pointless now that this is coming out? Um, I do. Some people would say the reverse. Some would say that this is pointless coming out because we already have the world of ice and fire. How, wait, how like is world, that? How is that even a? How is that even true? Because this is be, a detailed account of one family. Right, but the idea is that the world of if anything major happened, the world of ice and fire would have would have already covered it. Like but you actually of kind of explained this. I think it was one of the one of our podcast episodes a while back. You kind of explained how if you paid attention to the world of ice and fire, George R. R. Martin is careful not to let Elio and Linda write too much history about certain places, kind of like the Free Cities yes. and uh, Ashai. Yeah, I mean, the world of ice and fire does not. The world of ice and fire is very, very careful not to spoil anything in the main story, um, and I and Targaryen history is kind of. Um, you mean it, obviously it's before the main story, as 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 our main story takes place, you know, seventeen years after Robert's Rebellion, but um, you know, there's a few things in there that might that might give give away some major plot points, perhaps with the Blackfires and things like that, um, and why the Blackfires were were rejected, but um, he you know he has a lot of like the World of Ice and Fire. Um, all the places that have really detailed histories are the places we don't care about, and all the places we, that we care about have no history at all. So we have nothing on Slaver's Bay, and we have nothing on Karth, which were actually like ma- you know ma- major parts of our story. But you know what? We have we have a, a nice little chapter on Lorath and and you know things like that. <laughs> and um, but uh, the, the uh, with world with. Um, with Targaryen history, yeah, I, I think, I think perhaps there's some major spoilers in the second half of Fire and Blood, and so because George R. R. Martin had already released um, Princess and the Queen and the Rogue Prince and Sons of the Dragon, and he has the Aegon's invasion um, excerpt in the World of Ice and Fire, and he has the basic structure of Targaryen history like outlined in the world of ice and fire that because all these pieces were already there, then he might as well just fill in a few more and then release the first half of, of fire and blood. Um, And that way he's throwing a bone to the fans, but he doesn't really have to write that much more considering he already had, you know, Aegon's Invasion, Sons of the Dragon, Rogue Prince, and Princess and, and the Princess and the Queen, like all there. So he just needed to fill in a few holes here and there, um, and then and then he could he could release a book. So you think he's just releasing Fire and Blood to kind of throw a bone yeah. to the fans? Yeah, I think throw a bone to the fans, throw a bone to his publisher. Um, uh, that's what I think it's about. Uh, I still believe uh, we discussed this before. It's not really my theory; it's uh, someone on Reddit's theory. Um, I still believe that he has some kind of deal with HBO not to release a new book until after this, the show is over, because this is the longest he's ever gone without releasing yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, unless there was some new because he's literally releasing everything but the Winds yeah. of Winter. And unless The Winds of Winter is going to be the most epic book of all time, like, I, I'm just going to just jizz my pants every chapter. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I seriously do. I'm starting to believe that Reddit post that George R. R. Martin likely has a deal with HBO, like mm. a hush-hush deal, not to release any new content um, to, you know, drive people away from, from the show. 
and to wait until after the show is over. I personally think he's rewriting it. Like, I think he's rewriting The Winds of Winter to be different from the show. That's what I think is taking him so long. Re- that's actually a pretty good one, too, I mean, actually. You, you yeah, so? I mean, I'm just, I was just thinking how pointless it would, like, I was actually making this joke the other day to somebody. They're like, why is it taking so long? Isn't it going to be really weird when the show's over and then these books are going to come out? Like, you know, ima- imagine if, like, all of a sudden I was like, Carmine, man, are you really excited for the novelization of Raiders of the Lost Ark? And you'd be like, what? Why should I fucking care about Raiders of the Lost Ark? Like, a novelization of Raiders of the Lost Ark? It already fucking came out. <laughs> like, Right? Like no one, no one gets excited for the book coming out after the the television or, or movie has come out, right? Like no one gets excited about that. They they get they, the book comes out first, and then people get excited about the movie adaptation of it. Like that's that's how things work. Imagine, imagine if like imagine if like tomorrow they were like, oh, we're gonna do a Fantastic Beasts and where to find them like book where it's the same events of the movie, you know, Newt Scamander and all of that. But did you watch Harry Potter recently? Is that what you're trying I, to tell I, me? I, I watched, I watched not Harry Potter. I've watched fantastic beasts re- recently. Did you, did, did you like it? Uh, it was okay. It was fine. It was, it was okay. okay. Uh, I don't know, man. Can we expect some Harry Potter? I have never seen that. I mean, I've, I've watched, I've watched prison. I've told you, I've watched prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire. And I've watched Fantastic Beasts Part mm-hmm. One, and and I'm afraid your your fans are afraid they might lose you to the Harry Potter craze if you get into those books. Careful, careful. Well, I mean, it's it's my wife really loves like Harry Potter, and she hadn't seen Fantastic Beasts, so I watched it with her, and she, you know she wants to see this new movie when it comes out in a couple of weeks. Anyway. So I'm sorry, we're getting the, off track. But no, uh, te- we're getting off track. Te- tell me about the Exer. Like, what what is it involved? Uh, like, like who's in it? Is it any characters we know? Like, what's going on with the Exer? So the Exer is a it it it's about Queen Alisane and her and her journey north, which is um, a, which, which is a little interesting. I mean, to to a, to a big book fan like me, where where Queen Al like. So for me, like I have this big theory about Queen Alicine going north to the wall and and everything she kind of does there. Like she's in the in the original story, she's famous for ending the Lord's Right to the First Night, moving the Night Fort, um, uh, expanding the gift and all of these things. And I have a theory that she did it because the Night's Watch was sacrificing children and she like did not want that anymore. She didn't want, like, I, I believe that like people, the Lord's right to the first night was producing excess bastards in the North. They were taking the North to the wall and these, and these babies were getting, were getting sacrificed. And my theory is that Alisane like wanted to shut this whole thing down, whole operation. What, down. what uh, video and series was that that you made? Was that the, uh, Craster Craster? Uh, I, I, I mentioned in Craster and I mentioned it in, in minds of wolves and Robins. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it's it's in the Craster's Keep uh, uh, video where I t- uh, I talk about it pretty extensively there, um, and so that's that's my theory that that Alisane did this. Um, the excerpt does not mention any of this at all uh, because the excerpt is from the perspective of Maester Gildane, and so he doesn't he doesn't mention anything about it at all. Um, 
it's pretty the excerpt is pretty dry just talking about Alisane going north and her relations with um, Jaharis and uh, Alisane's relationship with the Stark in Winterfell who was named Alaric Stark he's not in the family tree at all he's he's kind of before the Starks we we know um, but the most interesting thing that people have been kind of buzzing about in the excerpt is the fact that Alisane's dragon uh, didn't want to cross the wall. Oh, why not? Well, that's the big thing, right? Because in the show, obviously, the dragon flies right over the wall and you know gets killed and becomes a white dragon and all that. Um, but then there's the question of why would this dragon cross the wall, which gets into another Preston theory about like what's going on with the wall. Um, uh, so I I have a theory that the wall. Um, is a is a uh, a barrier to telepathic abilities, and that um, and and this is evidenced by the fact that like um, so when Jojen when traveling with Bran bef- like before he crosses the wall, he's like old for his age, you know, like his personality is old and wise for his age. But then when he crosses the wall, he's a scared child. And and this is mentioned like there's oh there's this like big switch in Jojen's character once he crosses the wall, and so this idea that perhaps somebody was telepathically like influencing Jojen when he was south of the wall, and his telepathic ability has no like ability to cross the wall, um, and thus Jojen changes to the child that he should have been uh, when he goes north of the wall. The other is that John has trouble sensing ghosts when ghost is on the other side of the wall, he can't, he can't detect him. And so, um, and then the other, the other big thing is that there's a, there's a mystery, uh, about, um, uh, the, um, Aurel's Eagle. Do you remember Aurel? Doesn't, uh, doesn't Melisandre kind of burn him in the books? Ah, yes. <laughs> yes. So, so yeah, that's good. See, every once in a while I quiz Carmon and he like, he like <laughs> oh, you passed this one. Okay. He, he passed this one uh, with flying colors. <laughs> yes. So Aurel is the wildling that, that, um, that John kills when he's north of the wall with his trip with Corrin Halfhand. He sent up this pass and he kills this wildling Aurel and then he's, he, he doesn't kill Egret. Um, he's not actually given, Aurel isn't actually even given a name in, in A Clash of Kings. He's not given a name until the next book where we find out that Aurel was actually a skin changer and he could control an eagle and the eagle is taken over by Veramir six skins after uh, Aurel is killed and uh, Veramir six skins takes Aurel's eagle and is flying it during the battle for Castle Black and then all of a sudden the eagle bursts into flames for no discernible reason at all. And, um, you know, it's this big, horrible, painful experience for, for Vermeer Sixkins. Um, and no one knows why this happens. So John just kind of, there's a throwaway line where John says, I imagine we have you to thank for, for that. And, you know, Melisandre says something about the Lord of light or something, but she never thinks about it. And it's never in, in any of her abilities. Like, like why would, why would Melisandre be able to like cause an eagle to burst into flames for, for no reason? 
Like we have no explanation. She never thinks about it. And so, you know, we could just say that Melisandre didn't do it. Um, and then the question is, is why would an eagle burst into flames in the middle of the sky? Um, and my theory is that the, the, the eagle tried to cross the barrier of the wall and that that's what caused it to burst into flames, that it was a telepath trying to cross the wall while warging or while skin changing. Wait, wait, wait a minute. And so you're telling me that uh, at no point throughout the history of like the Wildling Castle Black conflict, uh, hundreds of years, there wasn't a warg who at one point on the uh, the Wildling side of the wall warged into an eagle and then tried to fly over the wall? Because this is something they should know if it happens fairly often. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a good point that like... Shouldn't at some point somebody know about like traveling over the wall with a with a skin changer or something? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's never brought up, so we don't know. Because if you the know. wildlings are constantly climbing the wall all the time, they would obviously use a, a warg as a scout, like they do with the uh, Orel, and they would probably have uh, have that skin changer uh, warg into. Um, uh, an eagle multiple times just to kind of scout out the area to make sure that when the wildlings get on top of the wall, there's no one there. And uh, obviously would have to cross the uh, you know over the wall multiple times. So that that's why I, I kind of thought it was Melisandre and her just being modest. You know, the Lord of Light works in many ways. Mm. I mean, you're being, you're, that's a very logical, that's, you're, I mean, you're being very logical and it's true that, that like my theory would have that whole, that, that you'd think that every time there's a raiding party to go over the wall, they'd be like, all right, who's got a skin changing bird and okay, let's try it. Send it over. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I'm not going to skin change close to the wall. That's, that's, that's bullshit, dude. And everyone go, okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, you're right. That's, that's, but at the logical. same time, you could also you know? argue for your theory here that, uh, it wasn't until Mance Raider united all the clans. Because if this had happened, they would have been uh, divided, as they were before Mance Raider right. came out. And uh, I'm assuming the times when the Wildlings would try to invade over the wall, they would go as clans and not like a united force. So if there was information like that, they probably wouldn't have shared it with each other because they were divided. So I guess that's a how you plug that. The other, the other idea is that Veramir Sixkin, that this wasn't a rel who was familiar with his bird mm -hmm. trying to go over. This was Veramir who knew nothing about birds. Veramir, Veramir Sixkins, like he was, he was fresh to, to uh, skin changing birds and maybe wasn't familiar with the process. You Would know? you also argue and that, that, that um, Veramir, Sisk Veramir Sixkins has a higher telepathic ability to uh, skin change into animals more so than Orel who can only do an eagle? Can't Veramir Sixkin, uh, do like multiple animals at the same time yeah no veramir is the strongest is the second strongest telepath that we've come across in our story i mean after bran i, I you know i would argue that bran is the strongest telepath but veramir six skins is the second strongest telepath that we have in our story um yeah so i mean he was he was really strong i mean you're, you're maybe he was i don't know more more ability or so something? what if what but, if the wall just prevents strong strong like it probably doesn't prevent like weaker telepaths like Orel who can just work in, like you know skin change into an eagle. Whatever, it doesn't matter. That's just an eagle. He's not that strong. But Veramir Sixkins, um, and even Jojen that has some ability, and even Queen Alisane, uh, the wall would definitely block them. But someone as weak as Orel, I'm, I'm sure, wouldn't really matter. 
they would probably let that. That's, pass. I mean, it's they'll, a, they'll probably let that through. That's an inter- that's yeah, that's an interesting idea that it's like that, that it'll be like a metal detector that like weak like like small amounts of metal yeah. could, get, could go through undetected, mm-hmm. but not large amounts of metal. <laughs> Possibly, I, I you know like we say, but there. I mean, it is it is it is a hole in the argument that shouldn't it be famous that that birds can't fly over the wall to, to wildlings and that somehow Vermeer didn't get that information. I, I admit that that it's a it's a bit of a hole. But you can, but you can plug um, that hole. Yeah, you, I, I can plug it with the, with the idea that Vermeer doesn't that Vermeer's you know not familiar with birds and the but, metal detected. Um, my you the, can plug yeah, it. yeah, plug yeah, but my my theory is yeah my theory is that there's this telepathic barrier in the wall. There's other holes, by the way. There's, there's, um, you know, people, people, people communicate through dreams off through the moon over the wall, but maybe they're bouncing it up and over. I don't know. But nonetheless, the, this, this is like a small thing where, oh, the dragon doesn't want to cross the wall. Perhaps it's because dragons are telepathically linked to their, to their riders. And if you're, if you're crossing the wall, there'd be a big problem. And you know, you, a dragon might, might burst into flames <laughs> trying to cross the wall, just like Aurel's eagle. I don't know. Well, maybe Aurel's eagle burst know. into flames because I doubt a dragon would, because it's so so big and powerful, and and it is flame incarnate, whereas an eagle is just yeah. you know. So that that was the that was kind of the the big the big thing was like why doesn't Silverwing want to cross the wall, and no one really knows. Is that was that the only like huge thing about that excerpt? Um, to me, yes. Uh, they, she, they, they didn't mention anything about Alisane's like, it's almost odd how they're, how they're silent about, or the excerpt is silent about, um, like the expansion of the gift and the moving of the knights, the night fort and, and, and all of that. And her staying with the free folk, um, all of the plot points about Alisane from, Ice and fire are are not are not in it, are not in it, which is strange that it's all kept kept out. But um, yeah, the the rest is just about um, um, like the the Stark, which is which I don't know. I mean, I, if I read it more closely, maybe I'll find something. Which these these passages, what's what's rough about all of these passages is that. They are meant for close reading, where like you, do. you have to say, okay, yeah, but I I wonder who would who would be a fan of it. Like if I did if I did like a series on on um like Fire and Blood, like side like line by line, which which is kind of what it requires. Like I don't know how many people that would be interested. Which in brings it, me to my like, next um, question. So this is clearly uh, George R. R. Martin's I guess Silmarillion, but he's kind of releasing it a bit. He's, he's kind of shooting off his load a bit too early here. Because I, I, I kind yeah. of expected something like this to come out after Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring, if those are the last two books. Um, we'll see what happens. Because I, I, I hear people always saying, like, you never know with him, you know. It was originally supposed to be three books, and then blah, 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 blah. And... Right, right, so, right. So it's weird that I, I kind of want this to be his Silmarillion, but at the same time, I also want him to release detailed accounts of other houses, like maybe the Starks, Lannisters, and even, um, I don't know, uh, 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 uh Tully's? You're a Tully fan? <laughs> Who the fuck's a Tully fan? What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Who the fuck is a Tully? I mean, one one thing that makes me like 
one i mean i you know being a, being a like a contrarian at heart mm-hmm. is is like one of the reasons why I like i'm a house aaron fan cuz no one's a house aaron <laughs> fan i mean maybe now maybe now that i've like pumped up the sweet robin hype you know a lot of people are aaron fans but um you know yeah nobody's a tully fan but no he could release like a, like a Silmarillion esque anthology or not anthology, a series of books where, like, we go through a detailed, detailed history of Targaryens, Lannisters, Stark, Baratheon, and even the other houses, too, because yeah. the great thing about A Song of Ice and Fire is that every single house has their own little game at play, their own, like, characters, their own, like, their own pieces on the board, and there are people who, you know, obviously, we're all supposed to be rooting for the Starks, but there are people who like the Greyjoys yeah. more than the Starks, who like the, uh, the Martells more than the Starks. And uh, you know we got yeah. we got a lot of Lannister fans too because the Lannisters are awesome. Um, do you? My question to you is this: Is this a book for casuals? And I don't mean that in the awful way. I mean like people who just watch the show and are kind of wanting to get into the books. Like, would you recommend this to them, or is this a book for diehard A Song of Ice and Fire fans? I think it's I think it's a book for diehards. I mean, even even I have real trouble like reading. Um, the history stuff without my eyes glazing over like it's not it's not exciting it's not you know the references that you're going to catch are are you have to know the story very well Mm -hmm. to know what they're paralleling to and things like that and and that kind of stuff Um, no it's 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 for diehards you you think so but uh, oh yeah you know but, will um, you be making like a video series on this? I think I think I will. Um, I think I will eventually get into the details of it. I mean, I'm getting pretty close to the end of prepping for winter, and where where you know that with that level of detail. Prepping for so, winter has been ongoing for like a thousand years, man. <laughs> you're, I well you're close now. Going line by. Yeah, well, I got two more chapters to do. Tyrion and Mercy. Um, and so it's, it's, it's coming. It's so, I don't know, maybe, yeah, I think, um, I'll, I'll, I'll read it first. I'll read fire and blood first and then decide, but, you know, just look at how many words it is and, and just, you know, see if I, I really can go through it. Like, you know, whether I want to go through it line by line or whether I, you know, just want to like go through summaries. Well, well, I mean, good luck. It, it'll take you a while because it has over seven hundred pages. Oh, <laughs> it has over seven hundred pages. Uh, I probably won't be picking this up uh, uh, just yet. I, I hope there's an audiobook version of it. Um, I know Roy Detrice, may he rest in peace. Uh, he's gone, so they might get a new new person to. Uh, to uh, get the audio, yes, it is. Yeah, I, I forget who did the audio for Princess and the Queen because they do have an audio of that. Oh yeah. Let me see this. Yeah, let me. Let me. Okay, so by the way, this is not a uh, promotion for Audible, but you know, I'm sure you guys have seen the Audible like free trial bullshit. You can get uh, Fire and Blood with uh, your free Audible trial, which is something I might do. Um, so, by the way, guys, just so you know, the book will be released on November 20th, 2018. You can pre-order on Amazon. Um, once again, I'm not, we're not promoting the book or anything like that. We're just letting you guys know. Uh, it says here, the illustrations by Doug Wheatley. Um, so, is this kind of going to be like Fire and Blood in a sense where we get like random illustrated stuff or? Yeah, no, there, there is some illustration Mm -hmm. in it. 
So so I, I yeah, some of the pictures were posted. I'm kind of I'm kind of annoyed so now because I really want like a Baratheon type history thing. Uh, like like this. I mean, <laughs> isn't that the kind of funny thing that like they're like I mean, Targaryens are not my favorite house. There's some people's, mm-hmm. you know, but I would I would be much more interested in, in, in a different like rather than it be fire and blood, like it being a I, I mean, I would rather have a, a Dornish history myself. But not, uh, not a house there in you trade more interesting. Uh I mean, that's the thing is we know so little about House Aaron that that haven't like we haven't gotten into that that history yet. So, I mean, it would be interesting in the sense that we know nothing about House Aaron. So it, it would be great to have something. But with the Dornish, it would be more like, you know, it'd be more about flushing out some of the details of major events and stuff like that. Um, and and obvi- obviously with the Dornish, there'd be a lot more sex and violence. So, did you like this excerpt? Was it all right? Would you recommend it for like any normal fan to read it, even a diehard? Is it worth it? No, I, for a diehard, for everybody else, it's like, no, it's it's very dry. It's very dry. Um, it's very dry history. It's hard. It's hard to be like, oh no, it's it's fantastic. No, it's not. It's 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 a dry history for super fans, and even super fans have to struggle through. It's really hard to get into. It's not not lying. Like it's like especially like and what's I mean what the only thing that's interesting about it is that like Gildane is a you know is going to be lying about certain parts. So we don't know, we can't trust what he says. And so you have to decide like well what is Gildane lying about and what was the real history. But then you're left with this with like more questions than than and answers in the in the thing once once you sort of question the source and so uh, well, this is why you're here to uh solve these uh questions for us as best you can with as yeah, with as a tinfoilious theory as you can so i guess i mean i i, I almost feel like if i did a, a video series i'd be making i'd be trying to make it more interesting than it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. jesus no no i mean look i'm i'm gonna get it obviously and i'm gonna read it and like you know i'm gonna pick it apart um, and so we'll, we'll we'll see about what happens in the future. I'm gonna get the audiobook. Fuck that. I I I I love I love personally for me. I, I love like you know getting the audiobook while I'm while I'm you know playing a game or you know just laying down with my head like just my head in my pillow. Mm. Just you know I, I like to like just turn off all the lights and just listen to like either music or like a podcast or even audiobook. It's that that's that's how I like to unwind and, and you know do my stuff. So highly recommend that for anybody if you guys are on your way to work or maybe at the gym or you know stuff like that. It's uh. It might be a good read, but if, if you are a casual fan, if you, you know, don't give a shit about the history of Danny's second cousin twice removed, then I probably wouldn't get it. I would just probably watch someone's YouTube video. Right. I mean, even, even so I, I did the audio, like Princess and the Queen, well, I was struggling to get through it. And so I did the audio book for it and I would listen to like 15 minutes at a time because that's about all I could take before I'm like, before I like, I, I like wandered off. You mm-hmm. know, you know what's... Yeah. I was going a bit off topic. Um, you know what's the probably the best audiobook I've ever listened to? Hmm. World War Z. What? Oh. Hold on. Who I know the guy's the guy's father is a famous he the guy's father uh did uh Spaceballs. World War not the book not the movie, of course, but the book. It came out in two thousand six. Max Brooks. His dad is Mel Brooks. And uh Oh really? He he basically did uh, uh, essentially uh, the story of a reporter going around the world 
after the zombie apocalypse happened and humanity has survived, he's going around and making a collection of individual accounts from all over the world of what people went through during the zombie apocalypse. And at one point, even Mark Hamill lends his voice to this as a soldier during the Battle of Brooklyn, uh, where a bunch of United States Marines, you know, try to stop a horde of zombies from, you know, breaking through. And it's it's one of the best, one of the best audiobooks I've ever listened to. And it's, I highly recommend it to you. I know you're, you're probably not a big zombie guy, are you? Uh, I mean, I went through my zombie phase, but I think I'm, uh, I think I'm, uh, done with it now yeah really well i i highly recommend this one because the one thing i i love about horror is anthology series horror you know like uh like um uh american horror story i i kind of like a little the vhs series yeah. i like i love black mirror on on netflix that's a bit horror sometimes mm-hmm. uh i'm glad they're remaking twilight zone <laughs> a bit horror the... <laughs> isn't black mirror like the worst like horror ever like, uh, like, like everything, like everything's fate worse than death. Uh, like exactly. your, your consciousness is going to experience boredom for a million years. <laughs> well, regardless, I just love the anthology stuff. And this is kind of like that. He goes around all over the world, you know, asking people how they survived in this part of the world. It's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, to anybody listening right now, the World War Z audiobook, highly recommended. Uh, recommend it to you too, Preston. But uh, let's wrap this up. Guys, thank you so much for joining us on this mini-episode. Preston, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm expecting a, a video series about the Fire and Blood. You better get on this. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it comes out in a month. We've got time. We've got time. Guys, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you all next time. Have a good one.